Hey friends, welcome back to the Black Diamond Podcast. This is your host, Eric Malzone. And this is the show where I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing entrepreneurs, founders, change makers, and people who are just creatively leading the way through innovation. And it's not only about successes and, and great stories, because you'll definitely get those, but it's also about the personal challenges and the vulnerability that we face along the way. So this show is brought to you by Level 5 Mentors, helping entrepreneurs and founders achieve the highest levels of freedom in five different categories, time, money, relationships, health, and purpose. And if you want to find out how you're doing in those five categories, we got you covered. We got a survey for that. Just go to level5mentors.com forward slash survey, and you can take the free entrepreneurial survey and see how you're doing in each category and see where you have room for improvement because, hey, we can always be improving. So welcome to the show. Let's get on to it. We are live. Elliot Rowe, welcome to the Black Diamond Podcast. Hey, Eric. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, it's really exciting. I, I'm so interested in what you do. Every conversation I've had with you, I don't know, maybe it's your voice. It's this calming factor. I really enjoy it <laughs> from that way. But also I learned something new and you've just done really interesting stuff and you're a very positive person, even in, in the conversations we've had about coaching business owners and entrepreneurs and I feel like you're a couple years more in depth than I am just on a timeline. And you've always been very encouraging of the direction I'm heading and giving me little tidbits as well. So I just want to thank you for that. And also I had the opportunity to be on your podcast and from one podcaster to another, I, I really enjoyed your interview style and it's always fun to spar off on someone else's show too. That's my, my warm thank, introduction. Thank you, kind, thank you for the kind words. <laughs> yeah, man. It's really good. So I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to let people listen to your backstory, how you got to where you are, because it's, it's fascinating. So please, man, take it away. Okay. So I'm a hypnotherapist and mindset coach. Typically I'm working with high performers in different industries. So I work with professional athletes. I work with CEOs of companies. I work with professional poker players, professional gamblers, stock, stock market traders, typically with the theme of someone's probably around top 10 to top 50 in their industry. So that's the, sort of my day to day. Mm -hmm. And I came into this from an interesting direction. I never thought I'd end up in hypnotherapy or coaching of any kind. I was working in renewable energy investments and I had a significant fear of flying that was basically stopping me enjoying vacations and stopping me doing long haul flights. I went to a hypnotherapist. I was really skeptical and she managed to resolve it in an hour. So it's completely changed my life. And the logic of it seemed so sound to me that I wanted to learn it. And the logic was, I went into this session, she got me very relaxed. It's like a meditative state. There's no magic. It's just like deep meditation. And she started asking me what it felt like when I was on a plane and then connecting those feelings back to other memories. And I had a memory come up of when I was a small child at my grandfather's house and I was being shown a picture of a small private plane. And I was being told that was plane your grandfather used, but it crashed and it killed one of his business partners. So I, I suddenly had an understanding of why I had been so terrified of planes. Mm. And because of that, sort of being able to release it, see it through my adult eyes, understand that doesn't mean all planes are dangerous. The, the fear of flying evaporated for me. So I was like, okay, this is really interesting. What was most interesting is I didn't consciously remember that memory. And I went home and I spoke to my mom and I was like, hey, did this happen? She's like, yeah, of course that happened. So I was like, a, re a memory I didn't remember had unlocked something that was 
negatively impacting my life pretty seriously. So got super interested in it, found the most comprehensive course I could find at the time in hypnotherapy, went and did the course expecting to do friends and family if they had phobias or just have a useful skill set. And from there, just started helping people. And when things start working and people keep telling people at some point, it just becomes a career <laughs> and, all, and it just, I was finding it so much more fun than my other work that this dominated. And I started working with UFC fighters. I started working with professional poker players, this sort of extraordinary success where I had some had a UFC fighter win the bell. I had in poker, my clients have won over a hundred million dollars. They've won the main event. They've won a lot of the significant things in poker and from there it led to working with CEOs of companies, founders of companies, and just everything around high performance. And I've been doing this for around a decade now, helping people understand where their issues are coming from in their past, working through and resolving those issues so that these repeating patterns and triggers can disappear. And as you help someone overcome those triggers and patterns, that their life changes quite considerably. Yeah, it's really, the work you do is interesting. And I would love to get into maybe a nameless kind of use case of one of these people that you work with. And obviously we won't address who they are, but it would be really interesting to hear that. And you know, one of the things I've taken away from previous conversations with you, Elliot, as I started really building my business coaching and mentoring business about two years ago, and it's doing well. It's not where I want it to be eventually, but the piece of advice you gave me was like, Hey man, don't worry about the marketing. Definitely. You want to be doing content. You want to be consistent with it, but really the majority of your great clients are going to come from referrals. And it sounds like that's, did you, is that advice you give now that you didn't know when you first started or give us that path of like how you've grown the business, how much was intention, how much was just doing a good job that the word got out. What do you, what advice do you have for other coaches and, and consultants? Almost every client I've had, and I'm, I'm high ticket now. Almost none of it comes from any advertising of any kind. So it's typically, I get an email, hey, you've helped my friend. I've seen his life change. I've seen him make X amount of money since working with you. I want to work with you. And if I advertise, I am effectively, I'm a hypnotherapist performance coach. And if someone's cold to me, they are very unlikely to look at that without skepticism. So, you know, where I'm coming from the sort of market, it needs to be that one of their friends, their life has changed for them to have that level of trust that they're going to invest the amount of money that they would have to invest to work with me. So, yeah, as I say, from my side, I don't think there's anything more powerful than word of mouth for a coach and testimonials and results. And if you're getting those things, you should never, ever be quiet as a coach. Hmm. If you're getting results, you should be extraordinarily busy. And if you're not able to get results, I don't believe it matters how much marketing you do because you can only bring in so many people. And, and if you don't create the change for them, it's not going to build anyway. So I would always say, focus on your process, focus on quality of service, focus on genuinely caring about your clients and the results that your clients get. And then I found that the business side has managed itself. And I, I didn't start expensive. I started relatively cheap but I would get fully booked and be like, I have to raise my prices because I'm fully booked. I have to raise my prices another year. I have to, because I'm getting fully booked. I'm getting too many people coming in. And I think that's sort of organic growth rather than being like, Hey, I've just started coaching. I'm now a high ticket coach. I, I don't think that's quite as a sustainable 
um, business model. I think you need the groundwork, the foundation, and to have really demonstrable results that people can see. Yeah. And that seems so contrary to the market. I know so many, gosh, how many times I get hit up on LinkedIn with, Hey, I see your business coach. I have a eight week program to 20 K a month. Do you <laughs> it's just, it's so overrun. And I think there's so many people who get into business and entrepreneurship and maybe just the coaching business particularly and think it's going to be overnight success. I think that goes with any business. What do you tell people when they, maybe their expectations don't meet what the reality may be. Sometimes you do get overnight success, right? I don't know. It's rare. I don't know if I've actually it's, think it's, it's so rare. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm sure there are some, but I, th I think it's one where let's say you've just started coaching people mm -hmm. and you're looking at a course and it says in eight weeks, you can be making 20,000 a month. Does that seem reasonable? And in my mind, maybe I'm being judgmental around it. I, I don't think that's a particularly reasonable expectation. And although it may happen and, and you may be able to help people, if you haven't got extra business experience or an expertise that you're coming from, I, I would question the sort of service you're genuinely going to be able to provide people. If you haven't got that experience and you haven't got the groundwork and you haven't got proof of concept and proof of results. Because it's one thing learning a system and it's another thing having demonstrated that you've been able to help people with that system. So I encourage exactly the opposite with the people I train and I'll tell them to start working for free, which is exactly how I started in poker. I had been, I'd helped some local golfers and they'd had some success improving their, their scores. And one of my friends was in the poker industry and she said, hey, if you're helping golfers with stress, could be worth millions of dollars to poker players. You should get, try the poker market. And I knew nothing about poker. Um, so I found poker forums and just said, hey, I'm a hypnotherapist. I've had a friend recommend that it could be useful for poker. For the next three months, I'm offering free sessions to any poker player to see if this works and, and test my belief. Mm -hmm. Fortunately for me, it, they saw improvements on results. And because in poker, it's graphs. You can look at the graphs. You can see when they started with me and you can see if there's a change. And because of that, I could then start building a business within the poker industry. And, and that sort of really helped build my business from that side. But I do think a lot of the time it, for coaching, especially it is reps. Like you, you need to have got the hours in. I, I would guess I've done somewhere between now 13 and 14,000 hours of coaching. And it's hard to do something for that many hours and not improve at it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right. you know, it's, it's anything yeah. that you do you're for the, that number of hours. You're yeah. either going to get incredibly bored with it and quit or yeah. you're going to get better. That's yeah. just the way it is. One of the things I'll say to people in coaching, you know, oh, I'm not getting enough clients. I'll be like, okay, how much are you charging? Okay. Mm -hmm. You've been doing it three months and you're charging a thousand dollars an hour and you're, you're not busy yet. Yeah. I'll say, okay, how about really looking at adjusting your pricing so that you're busy getting the testimonials, getting the proof of concept, building your confidence, getting the experience. And then a year from now, perhaps you're looking at that higher ticket price and you're busy and you have the testimonials to justify it. But as like you say, social media right now, there are infinite coaches. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to have a unique selling point and you have to have a justification. You have to have the previous business experience if rather than, hey, I was doing the nine to five and I've decided to become a high ticket coach. I, I don't see that as a, a very easy transition for people to make. And obviously some people do, and I can be wrong here. 
But what I've seen is that word of mouth and testimonials and results has been by far the most profitable thing for our business. And almost any marketing directly for coaching sessions has, has been ineffective. Yeah, it's, there's, uh, it's interesting because I, I came from the fitness industry and having spent 10 years in the trenches doing fitness coaching. And then I actually lied, unintentionally lied earlier in this conversation too, because I, I did start coaching business, coaching people for free by just a master. I called it my, for my gym members, I called it our entrepreneur club and we would mm. meet once a month and we would just do coffee and we talk about each other's businesses. And it was a free mastermind group that I did. And that was when I really started to enjoy that side of it. I realized, Hey, I have a passion. I love people having people hit their fitness goals, but really what I like is, is talking about their business. And that became really exciting for me, but the parallels are so true because when fitness, like, man, if someone comes to you and they have these goals, there's going to be someone down the street that's going to tell them, Hey, I can do it in 30 days. Yeah. And you just have to deal with that and you have to build that reputation so that when people finally get, maybe they try, I think those other people are necessary too, because people have to try that and realize that shit doesn't work. It doesn't get them to where they are, where they want to go long-term. It doesn't change their habits. It doesn't change their mindset and it doesn't create long lasting change. So it's nice to have those people out there, even though they can be a little bit of a pain, but they do eventually bring people towards you because they'll, they'll be so tired of it that they'll want somebody who their friend told them or someone they really trust got results. So it's really interesting in that. And one of the things that I want to really make sure that we get in, we spend time on is how you eloquently describe that you're not your issues. So people have so many blocks in their success. So much of it is mindset related. What do you mean by that? And maybe, yeah, just expand that on that whole concept. So a lot of people come to me and um, they'll say, I'm an anxious person. I'm an angry person. I'm a procrastinator. And a lot of the time, these are the sticking points. And like I said before, typically I'm working with already highly successful people. However, they'll still have a narrative that's stopping them reaching the next level. I believe there's some kind of wealth thermostat that everyone has where you're comfortable with a certain level of money. And then you find yourself keep bouncing back to that level of savings. And for some people, that's $20,000. For some, it's a hundred. I've had people stuck at a million dollars or $5 million, but they have this like a level that's acceptable for them. We'll then start looking at the sessions. We'll look at where that could be coming from. And a lot of the time it is this narrative of, I could be the top of the industry, but the top person is willing to do X or Y, and I'm just not capable of that. So if we talk about the coaching industry, that could quite easily be doing Facebook Lives or becoming a media figure. The person believes innately they're not capable. My belief through the work I've done in hypnotherapy and coaching is that is a learned fear that can be unlearned. So what we're doing through the sessions is looking to go back and see where that fear came from and then reframing it from a different perspective and removing the emotion from it so it's no longer triggered in those situations. So there might be issues around yeah, being a public face, being a public figure, speaking in public. We start doing the, the, the memory work on that and it comes back to bullying in childhood. Standing out is dangerous because I'll get picked on at school. It felt like life and death when you were seven years old and the other boy pushed you over and threatened you. But as we look at it through our adult eyes, it's a seven-year-old pushing over another seven-year-old. It wasn't a life and death situation. It just felt that way because we were a child. We work through that memory and 
see it for what it really was. And then we see the behavior change in the person's life. And we see that program start to shift. And once you understand that I see us as very simplistic beings who are just following programs that were created by evolution to keep us safe. So our, our subconscious believes it's protecting us with these different insecurities. And if we adjust the way the subconscious works, it just turns them off like a switch. And then we can release our full potential. And I think it's very powerful to be like, oh, I'm not an anxious person. I'm just someone who learned that being anxious was safe. I'm not an angry person. I learned that being angry could keep me safe. And if you start to see it that way, you can allow yourself to unlearn it. Whereas if you see it as innate, it's much more difficult and you end up in a very fixed mindset. Does that make sense as a concept? Yeah, it does. And I guess the question I have on that is when you work with your clients, right? I would imagine a large majority of them come to you for performance in their profession. They want to do better. They want to make more money. How often do you get pushback when you say, hey, we're actually going to dive into the personal side of things so that you can unlock yourself to move forward professionally? Does that, do you intentionally have that conversation? Is that something that you address early on? Because, and the way I'm, the reason I'm asking is I've had clients that I've worked with and they said, I don't want to get into all this mindset stuff. I'm like, okay. Yeah. The way that I'll frame it. And when I'm initially speaking to someone, seeing if I want to be working with them, I'll explain that I believe that everything is everything. So the person that's anxious in daily life is anxious in the boardroom. The person who's angry in the car because someone cut them up is also getting angry at their staff. Like the thing that you're doing professionally is typically just amplifying the thing that's there anyway. So I'll say we can't work on the professional side without working on everything else because it's all interconnected. And if someone says, hey, to me, especially I'm coming at this from a purely mindset perspective rather than a tactical or strategic, if they say, hey, I'm not interested in doing mindset work, I'll just be like, hey, probably not a good fit for me. I think we can find you a better coach who's better suited to work with you. So it just wouldn't be an ideal fit. It wouldn't be a good client fit for me if someone wasn't willing um, to look at their past, to look at the way they're behaving in life, because I'm just not a strategy coach. Yeah. And is that, as you evolve your coaching career, the ability to push a client away because they may not be a good fit, is that something you started with or did you learn that over time? I learned that over time. Yeah. I think everyone does. Like at the beginning, and this is again, the experience thing I was talking about, you you want to help everyone. It's natural for anyone who wants to be a coach. You you want to believe you can help anyone and you, you want to do your best for every situation. As I've developed as a coach over the years, I've recognized that some people aren't I say ready, it's just not the right coaching for them at this particular time of their life. And perhaps it never will be. And it's just accepting that it's okay. If someone says, I do not want to work on my mindset, it's not, it's not worth me trying to work with them. It's much better saying, Hey, why don't we find a coach who can actually offer you exactly what you're looking for? And I don't have ego around that. I just think it's finding people who are fit for purpose for me and and me for them And then from that point moving forward, it means I get the clients that I really enjoy working with and really want to see change and really believe in my philosophy. And then I get better results because they're brought in and and we've got that agreement in the initial consultation. So I don't have the resistance or the battle of me trying to prove something to someone who's also trying to prove to me that they don't want to do the work. Because if someone wants to prove that they don't want to do it, anyone's capable of of not working. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's an interesting thing. I wish, because when I think about clients I've had where I ran with it anyway, I'm like, okay, we won't talk about mindset. That's fine. We'll just, we'll just focus on business growth tactics. They don't stick around. No. And uh, oftentimes the conversations are unfulfilling on my end and probably on their end. And it just doesn't work out. Now, it's interesting that we have to go through that process of learning that, right? Like most people start in a, a new profession. They're like, I'll take all the clients. doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> just whatever. Yes. Come on board, pay my first invoice and we're in. And you start to learn over time that you start to get better clients when you really you know, what we call um, a level five mentor is the buyer's mindset where someone approaches you to be a client, you're actually flipping the table and qualifying them to work with you for the opportunity to work with you. That takes confidence, which seems to come over time, but it's so like, here's an example. Joe Rogan has the most popular podcasts on the planet. And when people ask like, Hey, what do you attribute that success to? He's like, it was actually when I got done with the show Fear Factor, I didn't have to worry about money anymore. So then I could do whatever I wanted with my podcast. And then this podcast became the most successful thing ever. Right? <laughs> so it's like this weird thing. It's like, if only we could learn the lessons earlier and act in that way, we would be successful much earlier on. But I guess that's just part of the process. Do you ever help people accelerate to that point when you're working with them? Certainly a, a lot of what I discuss with clients, like I believe someone working in their area of genius is much more effective. And if it's fun and if it's interesting, you'll exceed the people who don't find your topic fun and interesting. And there are people who find anything fun. Like personally, I hate accounting. There are people who love accounting, right? They should be doing my accounting. <laughs> and I think it's finding that area of genius that you have, the things that you enjoy, because I also have a very strong belief that it doesn't matter what you do in the world. If you love doing it, you will, people can pick up on it and they can feel it and you will end up making a good living. <laughs> I'm a hypnotherapist. Traditionally, they, they don't make very much money. I've managed to be successful. I already have a passion for it. I really love it. I would do it for free if I won the lottery. Like my life wouldn't change if I became infinitely rich, I'd still be doing the same thing every day. My brother's a tattoo artist. He's a really successful tattoo artist mm. because he just does what he loves. And I believe that if you're the best cake maker, you can sell those cakes for a huge amount of money. It doesn't matter what it best dog groomer is. Yeah. If you find the thing that you truly love and people around you can pick up, that's your passion. I, I think you, you won't struggle for money. The issue is when people try and focus on things that they think should make them money, but they don't enjoy it. And then it's very hard to make a living doing something that you don't really have a passion for because there will be someone else in your industry who actually genuinely loves whatever it might be, you know, making watches or whatever else, and their clients will be picking up on it and your clients will be picking up that actually you might be just in this for the dollars. Oh man, that's really interesting. And it's, it's so true and so universal. I look at the way we just describe when I work with people is there's four different levels of things you do. There's incompetence, which for me would be bookkeeping. I should never do it. I should always pay someone to do it. We're in the same spot, Eric. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, and then there's the next level up is competence, like things you could probably do, but you just don't really much enjoy and you're probably not that good at. And then you get in this level of excellence, which we'll come back to in a second, which is, hey, you've probably made a name for yourself. Maybe you've, you've gotten really good at it, but you don't really 
enjoy it. And then the next level up is what you're talking about with numerous things, zones of genius, area of excellence, whatever it may be. No, that's a bad term, but you know, that high level, right? Where it's Mm -hmm. like, you are put on this earth to do this. You love it. The, the part that gets tricky is that third level, that, that zone of that area of excellence, because it's a trap, right? It's like where, you know, for me, it was like, uh, sales. I had a good sales career for the first of my twenties. I was doing well and kind of people were like, Hey, he's a good salesperson, but I was, man, I didn't love it, but it became a trap. And I always know I could go back to it if I wanted to. Do you help do you, within your process, do you help people kind of identify those areas of what they're really good at? Like, when does that come into your process? So I think people innately know. So I'm not generally in my sessions, I'm not giving people the information i'm just asking them questions so like i say hypnosis is not like the magic stuff on tv it's just like a meditative state you get very deeply relaxed and then you're communicating more with the subconscious so just thoughts come up that wouldn't come up in your conversation so someone in that position that you're talking about we're going into the session and we would be asking the subconscious how do you feel about your career and with those people they'll start to say it doesn't fulfill me. They'll say, okay, that's interesting. What does that mean? And then they'll start talking themselves. Everyone knows their truth. And it's my job to just ask the questions to allow them to speak their own truth rather than for me to tell them what I think they should do. Yeah, that's really interesting. So if you can, can you walk us through like a successful case study of the way that you work without obviously giving names? Yeah. So one that probably resonates with people listening to this show is procrastination. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It it comes up in entrepreneurs, business owners, like it just comes up all the time. So, Hey, Elliot, my business is doing pretty well. As I say, typically they're coming to me. They're already, they're successful. They're not a beginner, but they'd be like, I'm doing pretty well, but I know I'm holding myself back. It's as if there's an invisible force field. It's stopping me doing the things I know I should be doing. I have this to-do list and the things that would create the biggest change. I'm just not doing. Okay. And usually they'll innately believe they're lazy. So we'll go into the hypnotherapy on this particular issue. And what it will almost always bring up is memories of childhood being really clever in school and not having to study for exams early on. And then as things start to get harder, not wanting to study, being happier, getting a B without studying, than risking working and getting an A. Because their ego is completely safe if they don't put in the effort and tell themselves they would have been successful if they had done it. So the same thing's happening in their business. They know what they should be doing. And by not doing it, they're telling themselves they would be successful if they chose to do these things. Does that make sense as like an ego protection mechanism that's at play? Yeah, totally. As you're talking, I'm obviously reflecting on myself and I've always been like, I've been that student where certain areas I have to really work hard to get an A. And most of the time, if I could get a B plus, super happy with it and not do a whole lot. In my sales career, I was the guy that frustrated all this, all of my upper VP sales <laughs> because I would hit my quotas, oftentimes hit top three that year, but I would do it in less time. That would frustrate because they'd always think, what if Eric actually worked 
40 hours a week. What could he do? I'm like, mm-hmm. no, I'm good. And it's hard to, it's hard to motivate someone who's lifestyle oriented. Yeah. I resemble that comment in many ways. And I think a lot of people would too. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you just work through it, it's really just such a key point. Most people are happier, feel happier protecting their ego than taking the risk of finding out they're not as good as they thought they were. And it's just, it, it comes up so much in my sessions. So the feeling of safety of having the, if I did this, I would be excellent, but I'm choosing not to, I'm not capable of doing that rather than having the growth mindset of I'm going to try and I'm going to get the data point and find out how good I really am. And switching to that growth mindset over the fixed mindset around this is absolutely life-changing. And basically I've seen it just completely dissolve procrastination in people as they overcome that. And they're like, okay, I'm not going to be a slave to my ego. It's okay if I fail. And once they're okay to fail, typically they don't fail. They become really successful. How do you switch that? Like, how do you discover that metric that really uncovers how good someone really is? How do you start that process? That's fascinating. Really the process. So I'll go through a process of what is the top person in the industry that you're working in doing that you're not doing? Mm. So you, you have them write down all the things the top person in their industry is doing and then put a ticker across next to the, all the stuff. And almost always there'll be a number of crosses. There's a number of things that that person isn't doing that they know the top person in their industry is doing. Okay. So it's no longer a knowledge issue. They already know, and there might be another hundred things the top person in their industry is doing that they don't know about. But even with the things they know about, there's a big difference. So there's, there's no knowledge gap here. This is, there are things you should be doing that you're choosing not to. And we'll work on making sure that those things are done. And as I say, we work through a lot of the subconscious stuff, releasing the sort of the protection of the ego, accepting that it's okay to try these things. And if it doesn't work out, that's fine because you have more data to work from. And with the data, you can then iterate and iterate because that's what everything is in business and in life in general. But I see that as just like the most important starting point is proving to the person they know what they can be doing and they are choosing not to rather than they're just stuck. And once they see it as a choice, they can make a better choice. That's fascinating. So maybe we can pull out a practical example, maybe like poker players, because mm-hmm. that was an interesting uh, niche that you started in. It's expanded outwards, but how would that, but like, how would someone in that field see what the best are doing that they're not doing? There's a lot of information out there. There are a lot of podcasts and things you can listen to the best in the world. And I, I work with a lot of the best in the world. So I know exactly what they're doing and it is public information. But if we think about the best poker players in the world, they're studying a large amount of time. So probably somewhere between 10 and 15 hours a week of off table studying. Almost all of them have a meditation practice. Almost all of them have personal trainers. Almost all of them are watching their diet almost all of them are developing a network of other poker players to discuss poker hands with. So when I ask this question to a poker player, what are the best in the world doing that you're not? An awful lot of them aren't even thinking about what would be considered the soft skills in poker, which would be the physical health side. They're, the average poker player isn't working out five days a week because the working out then gives them clarity, which will then improve their performance at the table. 
So the things, the top, there are things like that, that the top guys are doing that someone who's middling or doing well, but not completely crushing, there's just big gaps and they're aware of these gaps, but they're choosing not to do it. And as I say, my job is to help them make the choice that if they know this is what the best in the world are doing, effectively, typically just copying what the best in the world are doing will take you a long way towards becoming one of the best in the world. Awesome. So let's point that, let's point that at our industry, right? The coaching industry. Hmm. What do you think the best in the world are doing that most aren't? I think there's the the social media side. Hmm. As I say, I have a, I guess I struggle a bit in terms of what I consider the best in the industry to be, because I'm very much biased towards this idea that it's not necessarily about being the most well-known. It's about having the most referrals and the best results. And I, th- I do genuinely believe a huge amount of that is grinding out the hours and putting in the effort. It's, I see that and perhaps slightly arrogantly, that's the thing I focus on within the industry is, is just getting as much experience as humanly possible year in, year out. But social media is something that a lot of people, they're not willing to do the lives. Having a system of collecting emails, producing content that's valuable, having their own mentoring and coaching Certainly from my side, I'm incredibly routine-based in my life. So I have a therapist every two weeks. I have a personal trainer five days a week. I have a massage once a week. I do assisted stretching once a week. I have a mastermind group that I'm in. I have a second mastermind group that I run. These are all things that I truly believe improve my coaching. And I think there are a lot of coaches that perhaps are not understanding how important the congruency of doing all the things that you're telling your clients to do yourself are actually, that's applicable to you as a coach as well. (laughs) Yeah. So I think there's a number of the things that that I would point to in terms of what's allowed me to be successful. And I think a number of other successful coaches as well. It's, it is interesting. And if you look at those, let's say KPIs or for lack of better term, things that you look at are as successful, right? Get great results, get a lot of referrals. Those people aren't out there that much. They are probably creating content and doing all these things, but they're generally quietly in the background. There is a great book. I don't know if you read this one, but Trillion Dollar Coach. I haven't actually. I haven't yeah, read it's great. It's this guy who coached all these executives in the Silicon Valley and he's passed since then, but it's a really interesting. No one really knew who he was, but he was amongst that circle. He was extremely well-known. And he wasn't creating content. He wasn't doing all these things. He wasn't doing social media posts. He was just doing a really good <laughs> job. Good job. Yeah. yeah. Over a long period of time. And it started with football coaching. He coached a youth football team and all these different things. And it's, it's really fascinating when you look at his career and, and how he's built up. And I, I agree. I think it's really fascinating. So Ellie, where do people find you, man? Where do people go? The best place is if you go to elliotrow.com. So nice and easy. And then I also have an app called Prime Mind. So a hypnotherapy app, and you can download and try that for free. It's called Prime Mind. It's on iPhone and and Android. And I think there's about 30 hypnosis audios that are completely free. And then there's an upgrade that you can pay for that's around 300. And that helps with sleep, with motivation, with sports performance, exercise. So if you think of something like Headspace or Calm, but much more focused into specific activities, like improving your day-to-day, improving your sales calls, those sorts of things. So a, a little bit more applicable for entrepreneurs and that's primed mind. Awesome. Well, Elliot, man, I really enjoy our conversations. Hopefully I can get you back on in the next yeah, year or so. It was, a, 
it was a ton of fun. Really appreciate it, Eric. Yeah. Good times, ladies and gentlemen. Elliot Rowe. Hey, everybody. This is your host, Eric Malzone. Don't leave yet. I have a few more requests for you. So if you got value out of this podcast, I ask you to do a few things. Number one, go to wherever you're listening, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and go ahead and subscribe to the show. Number two, while you're there, if you feel that we earned it, please leave us a nice review. Number three, share it. Whether it be social media, email, texting, whatever it may be, I'm sure you know somebody who would get value out of this episode just like you did. So please go ahead and share it. And that's how we get the word out. So it's really valuable and super appreciative. It only takes a minute of your time. Next, if you know of somebody, including yourself, who would be a great guest for the show, please head on over to level5mentors.com, L-E-V-E-L, the number five, mentors.com. Get in touch with me. Let me know what you're thinking. Uh, Make an introduction, whatever it may be. You can also get me directly in my email, which is eric, E-R-I-C, at level5mentors.com. Lastly, if you just want to chat, you want to find out more, if you want to expand on some ideas, I love hearing from the audience. So go ahead and hit me up on social media. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. You also have my email already. So I love to hear from you. I'm always looking for ways to improve the show and I'm always looking to have great conversations. So don't hesitate to reach out. And once again, thank you for listening to the Black Diamond Podcast and you can expect a lot more from us. 